0: This episode of Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by Hills. That Hills, their decades of science and research guide the company in creating nutrition that's a step ahead. So pets and pet parents can enjoy every day together. As the U.S.'s number one veterinarian recommended pet food brand, knowledge is Hills' first ingredient. With 220-plus veterinarians, Ph.D. nutritionists, and food scientists working to develop breakthrough innovations in pet health. Hill's Prescription Diet, Therapeutic Nutrition, plus the company's Everyday Foods, Hill's Science Diet, Hill's Healthy Advantage, and Hill's Bioactive Recipe are sold at vet clinics and pet specialty retailers worldwide. For more information about Hill's, their products, or their forward-thinking approach to nutrition, visit them at hillspet.com or hillsvet.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1KCRadio.org. We're talking with our new chief veterinarian about what it takes to work at a high-volume clinic. That and more on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro.
1: And I'm Sierra Howe, and welcome to the show. We're coming to you from the headquarters of Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services for folks in need.
0: Indeed it is. Have you been? I've been okay.
1: I feel like that's just the vibe for this week in general because we're recording this the week after memorial day weekend Mm -hmm. or i guess two weeks but a short week and it's just it's been rough
0: it's been rough it's you're trying to get back into the swing of things it's been difficult we have a a new intern um we're adjusting to that hey thomas (laughs) and um so yeah i don't know it's but it's a
1: good problem to have
0: yeah exactly i know i'd rather have always grateful um okay well we're gonna talk to our new chief veterinarian here in a minute but how about some pet news yes
1: Dallas is the next city in line to ban the sale of dogs and cats in pet stores, and we couldn't be happier. Earlier in May, the Dallas City Council Committee passed the Dallas Humane Pet Store Ordinance, which will stop pet stores from selling dogs and cats and encourage them to work with local rescues and shelters to get pets adopted out instead. According to Stacey Sutton Kirby of the Texas Humane Legislation Network, they've been working to pass this ordinance since January of 2021 to, quote, closed the puppy mill pipeline to Dallas to stop hundreds of sick puppies from being shipped from out-of-state puppy mills. THLN has received multiple complaints that Dallas pet stores have been selling sick and unhealthy puppies, which, unfortunately, is a fairly common issue amongst pets who are bred in unsanitary and inhumane conditions. So this is one of the many reasons why the ordinance is set to take effect in November. Congrats to Dallas and all of the other Texan cities who have taken big steps to improve the lives of pets in their state.
0: Congrats, indeed.
1: I um, love seeing stuff like this.
0: I do, too. And it's nice to kind of see, I don't know. It, I noticed these things a lot more since we started doing the podcast. So it's interesting. Yeah. To, I kind of now see the larger trend because we're mm-hmm. always noticing these things. Every so.
1: time I go to the mall, I just want to scream in Petland.
0: I know. I know. Petland, you.
1: you know, as a kid, not realizing what all was going on behind the right. glass. I'd love to see the puppies and play with them, but now no. And I will teach my son to, if he wants to do that, to go to a shelter and exactly have a bigger impact.
0: And if you don't know what pets. we're talking about, then you should go back like two episodes to when we talked to the HSUS about uh, puppy mills. Yeah. Good and, stuff. So that pipeline next up as pets age, they experience a lot of the things we humans do, including cognitive decline. Canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome is similar to Alzheimer's disease in humans with a progressive degeneration of brain tissue, and it can be difficult to diagnose. Researchers out of the North Carolina State University used a suite of complementary tests to try and see if they could track cognitive decline in dogs. They took 39 dogs from 15 breeds, all in the senior range, but in good overall health. They underwent physical and orthopedic exams, blood work, and a series of cognitive tests designed to suss out executive function, memory, and attention. In addition, their owners were given two diagnostic questionnaires. And they discovered a lot about the way the disease presents itself. The suite of tests seems to do a good job of tracking cognitive decline, which will help with early diagnosis of the disease. Natasha Olby, co-senior author on the paper, said, quote, Being able to diagnose and quantify CCDS in a way that is clinically safe and relevant is a good first step toward being able to work with dogs as a model for Alzheimer's disease in humans. Uh, Many of the current models of Alzheimer's disease in rodents, for example, are good for understanding physiological changes, but not for testing treatments. End quote.
1: This isn't something that you necessarily want to think about as a pet owner, but I'm glad they're being proactive and they're figuring out how to address it.
0: Exactly. If
1: the time should come.
0: Yeah, because it's important especially with something like that, I mean with with Alzheimer's too, to catch it as early as you can so that you can mitigate as much of the damage as possible. So, yeah, and and if dogs can lead to better treatments for humans and then, then maybe vice versa, that would be wonderful. Yeah,
1: and it might keep them from being relinquished relinquished to a shelter unfortunately. I see that. Yeah. Maybe playing a part in this. So,
0: uh, but so, you know, good things on the horizon, hopefully. Yeah. Well, why don't we go talk to um, our new chief veterinarian?: Yes) guest today is a powerhouse of a doctor. She's relatively new to the team, but she's already making waves with her desire to help no matter what. She's very at home in the busyness and somewhat chaotic world of being a high volume veterinarian, which makes her a perfect fit for our goal of always reaching more pets and people however we can. She's also our new chief veterinarian and we couldn't be more thrilled. Dr. Malia Washington, welcome to Pet Resource Radio.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: So all right, let's go back to the beginning. Were you one of those people uh, that knew early on what you wanted to do?
2: Yes. I grew up on a very large farm in Western Kansas. Um, It has been in my family for well over 100 years. Um, My dad and um, my mom, I guess my mother's family was long-term farmers. Um, Mm -hmm. my dad moved around a lot when he was a kid, but always had a really deep love for horses and animals in general. Um, and so he moved to that farm when I was about two years old and, um, we just were surrounded by animals or surrounded by the outdoors. I always raised, um, horses, Mm -hmm. trained, Mm -hmm. I rodeoed, I barrel raced, I had riding lessons when I was in high school and created a business when I was like 15 and was always sitting around animals. So I knew when I was about 12, my horse had a really severe injury to his neck that required a lot of care. And he was like my baby. He's still alive, 27. So um, caring for him and dealing with the vet that helped us was like, this is what I want to do. And my dad was like, absolutely cuz i always wanted to be a teacher and right. he's like you can you know dream big like you can be a doctor so that was really it for me so after that i my passion was always surgery mm-hmm. i always knew i loved surgery um and i wanted to do equine orthopedics that was my goal going into vet school actually fast forward to my end of my second year mm-hmm. um and i actually found out i was pregnant with my first son mm-hmm. so that Changed immediately and my kids are my life. I have three sons now. And so from the moment I found out that I was pregnant with my son, I started to consider changing my path. Internships and residencies are very, very, very grueling and they do not pay well (laughs) in veterinary medicine. So. Um, upon graduation, I went into mixed practice in Houston and kind of just developed, um, stuck with the horses and continued to develop my skills with surgery and got in with a shelter close by to do more spays and neuters. And my love for shelter medicine kind of just took off from there.
0: Wow. Now, for those who don't know, what is, what is mixed practice?
2: Yeah. Mixed practice is, um, uh, veterinarians and technicians that work with all species. So, you'll, when in that specific practice, we were mm-hmm. very busy. It was right south of Houston. We were a walk in clinic and we had, it was, I was one of three doctors. And at my typical day, we would do from probably 20 to 30 um, surgeries, dogs mm-hmm. and cats, and we would see goats and pigs and horses. And Anything coming in the door. The only thing we didn't really do a lot of was exotics, meaning like reptiles, guinea pigs, pocket pets. So it was primarily companion and large animal. Um, So my day would be going outside and doing some exams on horses, floating some teeth, doing dental work on horses, castrating horses, coming back inside, doing surgery, running to the room, seeing patients. And it was just very busy, very fast paced. That was my first job out of vet school. So I learned a lot. I met a lot of really awesome people and connected with the clients really, really well in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I was able to build a mobile business when I went into shelter medicine. Uh-huh. So I always kind of had my hand in all the things. And right. everything for me always comes back to horses. But shelter medicine, high volume surgery, And that world in the South kind of became my purpose as a doctor. And it was something I didn't even realize was an option when I was in vet school. So, okay.
0: So yeah, let's talk about you being in the South because down, I know that We import animals here from Mm -hmm. the South and that's a, that's a pretty bad situation. You want to speak on that?
2: Yeah. So the city of Houston Mm -hmm. is bark animal shelter and adoptions. That was my first full-time job in shelter medicine. And I would go there a couple times a week to help with surgery when I was working full-time at the mixed practice. And when I left that practice, I went on full-time and I was introduced to a whole different side of animal welfare that I did not know existed. That shelter takes in anywhere from 25 to 27,000 animals a year. And um, one of my main jobs there was to be involved a lot with cruelty cases. Mm. So we would, um, our animal control is very active and has become amazing with really trying to get to the source of problems in um, hoarding, dog fighting um, anything that's abuse or neglect that we feel is something where we need to step in. We really try to work with the owners and educate them. Mm -hmm. And if they don't respond in a positive way where we see that the dog is being fed and there is shelter and there is care taken, we can take steps to um, work with the DA's office and get a warrant and the judges support that. And we can seize those animals from those situations. So that was a huge, I was part of what I did along mm-hmm. with really working very closely with the volunteers to um, build very good heartworm treatment programs. Heartworms are terrible in the South yeah. Um, and it's just the volume of animals that we see on the streets and in our shelters that go unnoticed and get euthanized is just heartbreaking and something that really changed me as a person and as a doctor. And yeah, transports are huge. They're a huge part of what keeps us afloat and keeps our live release rates over 90%. Right. So there's no no there's a no kill shelters don't exist essentially. That's that's a really bad term. We we always are gonna have to euthanize animals, be it due to behavior, safety, or medical reasons. But if a shelter maintains a live release rate, above 90%, that's a no-kill status. Right. So at one of the busiest shelters in the nation, we were able to keep and maintain 92, 95, 96% live release and it's really phenomenal. The volunteers and the friends I made at that shelter are for life and I miss them nah. all the time but it's been a great experience um, to be involved with that shelter and continue on to another shelter with a really good friend of mine Mm -hmm. and build, we actually really built a whole transport program with a huge trailer that the Petco foundation donated Mm -hmm. with funds they donated. Um, and we transport all over. I drove the trailer for the majority of my career at that shelter. Um, and that's Montgomery County animal shelter was the job I left before moving to Kansas city. So transport is huge. We, we need people to understand that we have to get these animals out and we have to educate pet owners. And it really comes down to legislation and laws changing and laws being enforced. And it's a huge battle. It's a huge battle everywhere, but it opened my eyes and it really taught me a lot. A lot of the skills I have now are because of those shelters and they'll be They made me who I am as a doctor.
0: Absolutely. You're under the gun, so to speak. And it's always intense and there's always stuff going on. I always see um, when we talk about, you know, importing animals from the South here, when I see articles on that or something like that, I I see people commenting all the time. They're like, well, why, why, why do we, why we have our own animals here? And it's like, you got to understand the context. Like, you've got to understand how different it is. Like, I used to live in South Carolina. Like, I know, I know all about it. So let's talk about. The main difference is because people don't always understand the difference between, you know, shelter medicine or high volume medicine and private practice. Mm -hmm. So what what are what are some of the big differences?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the name, it really kind of explains itself. But Mm -hmm. high volume medicine and we can even kind of look at Texas right now, even still, there are a lot of clinics that do high volume vaccines, high volume spay neuter. There's not a full physical exam. We're not looking in every ear. We're not looking in every eye. We look at the teeth, we listen to the heart and we give vaccines really quickly and we kind of send you on your way. And it's really just to get those basic core vaccines on board. And as much time as we can, which is usually, I mean, probably maybe three to 10 minutes, right? Right, Quickly discuss heartworm prevention and the need for it. Um, so in Texas, there are many high-volume practices. I mean, many. I've relieved at, I don't even know, five or six probably in my career. Wow. Um, I worked for a company that owns one, and I opened one for that company that's just kind of like dentists are kind of on every corner. You can go anywhere to get vaccines. Here, truly and honestly, Pet mm-hmm. Resource Center is that for Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. Anything that's around this area, we're it, Yeah, which is amazing but that's not all we do we do so many other things so when you're looking at just high volume it's to take as much as you can and get the basics and get that under control comparing to private practice private practice is building a relationship with owners and really trying to discuss the lifelong how can we care best for your pet from the time it's six weeks old until it's you know, euthanasia, right? We do everything we possibly can. And and those clients are coming in, paying exam fees that require 30 minutes of a doctor's time. right? And so, and that's important, right? That's important always, but it's that piece that is a little bit altered from high volume medicine. We're trying to get as many animals that we can see that can't afford that 50, 60, $70 exam fee Mm -hmm. and, but we need to get those vaccines on board. We need to prevent parvo. We need to prevent distemper. We need to educate about these things when we see them and try to work towards heartworm prevention and try to also work towards spaying and neutering. So it's more about trying to touch as many pets as we can in a short amount of time. We will lose a little bit of education with the pet owner, but at the end of the day, we're trying to just get the basics on board. Um,
0: So yeah, it's, it's, Private practice, and I think that's what people don't always understand is that you are dealing with – it really – my wife works at a private practice. She's a hospital manager, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like it's a specialty clinic. You pay this amount of money. You get to sit down with the doctor. Sometimes they go over um, because they're really taking the time to give you the full context because they have that time to do that, mm-hmm. and then whereas – You know, I I, we we talk all the time about like just the amazing differences between a place like this and a place like that. Yeah, Um, it's and I don't think people always understand what that is, that you're trying to cram as much as you can into those appointments because that's your time to do it. Yeah. Which is why I think the outreach aspect of what we do is important as well, because that gives us another opportunity in the field to address those things directly. Yeah. Um, or, you know, convince them like, hey, come on by so we can talk to you more about this or, yeah. you know, whatever it's going to be.
2: And that's what's really so special about this organization, because high volume clinics, you're in, you're out, you get your basics, you go and you're not gonna get follow-up for long-term care. It's just, it's not an option at some of these places. Um, I worked for a company that owned private practices and high volume practices, and the high volume practices served as almost like a referral Mm
0: -hmm. clinic. Mm -hmm. So
2: if we saw masses or we saw dental disease, we would refer them out to our full service practices. So we kind of had that kind of leeway in between where we could still get these animals what they needed. But at the end of the day, some of these people just cannot afford it. Right. And so and I see them turning their pets in to the shelter day in and day out for years. Right. So Pet Resource Center bridges the gap between we're getting the vaccines, we're getting their core education on board, the basics, right? But we have the option now for dentals. Mm -hmm. We have our outreach team to go and talk to you. We have people that can sit and make phone calls and talk with you about Mm -hmm. educating you on heartworm disease, on your heart, dog's heart murmur, on things that you might think are really serious, but you know what, with this medication, it might not be that serious. And I have never experienced such an all in one building with people who really strive to keep pets and people together. Like that's, that's the motto. That's the goal. We want to keep these owners educated and informed and help them help their pets. That's the goal. And it's just so special and it's so unique. And I am so excited to be here and so excited to be trusted, to be put in a chief position, to help it grow. It's really phenomenal. What I have seen in my career wishing I had a place like this that Mm -hmm. would bridge that Mm -hmm. gap. Mm -hmm. It's really, really special.
0: That's fantastic. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm glad you're here now. You know, I've been here for six years, so I've seen it change from, and like people like, Ramona. I'm not to name drop Ramona. Yeah. I don't care. Love her. <laughs> um, Ramona has been here longer than me. And she's like, Oh yeah, when we first started, we were doing this and this and this. And you know, Michelle tells the stories about how oh, I was in this little building and I, we did, you know, X number of surgeries a day and I was answering the phones and doing this and, this and this and this and this and this and to see how much it's grown and changed. But, but just so much in the past couple of years, how much we've been able to expand services. Like yeah. that's been amazing to me. That's something that like, I never thought we'd be doing dentals. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's fantastic because that's one of those things that you you don't you want to educate people about, but then they're like, well, how do I take care of that? And it's like, okay, well, it's going to cost you like fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. and it and and being able to give them that kind of resource to be able to do that affordably, it's that's it blows my mind every time I think about it.
2: Yeah. Truly. And when I interviewed and I sat down and talked with Michelle and Dr. Andelson at the time, and they said all these things, I was like skeptical, honestly, at best, because coming from where I was from and just the sheer volume and just you never got ahead. It was animal after animal and issue after issue. No matter what we did, it was never good enough. And it was just this defeating every day, day in and day out, animals right. hit by cars and animals be like just never stopped. And so for me, it was really, I was trying to refocus my mind on stepping away from shelter medicine that I loved and getting to a place where I can get these animals before they end up in a shelter. Shelters are amazing. And I know the shelters in Kansas city do great work. I Mm -hmm. have relationships with a couple of them and I am so proud to know that they're doing what they're doing, but we are essentially on the front lines and we are trying to provide every service we can and give these owners every opportunity they can to take their best care of their pet. And these people are not going to go to a private practice. Right. Those are our focus. It's the ones that are forgotten, right? right? The people that don't have any other choice. They've lost their jobs. COVID is still hurting them. They have just dis- they're on disability. Their kids are on disability. Like any of the factors that we see, mm-hmm. that's who we're helping. Right. And I and I just love that. It's very inspiring for me after working for ten years as a vet to still be inspired. I lo- I love it.
0: Okay, so what kinds of things would you like to see us do in the future? What kind of ways do you want us to grow?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually already talking with um, Kristen, who is amazing. Her team is amazing. Yes. Um, and they, what my biggest push and biggest idea because of my love for shelters is to reach out to some of those smaller shelters in the area that maybe don't have a vet, maybe don't have a medical staff, and see how we can help. Some of these places only have an animal control, And there's not a lot of support staff for them and they have to contract out their spays and neuters and they might be, um, you know, struggling with that. Who knows? So that is our goal starting in July is to take our mobile unit and set up a clinic whether it's in our RV or in their shelter and help them spay and neuter the pets in their shelter and help the owners in their areas that maybe don't have transportation and can't get to our clinic. Right. So we already travel up to an hour away. So we're going to try to incorporate shelters along that route and work with the partnering, partnering ones that we already hold vaccine clinics with and work to spay, neuter and educate those pets in those communities. So the big picture is to get a big bus and I can just drive around Kansas city and doing everybody's bed. <laughs> <heads.
0: laughs> uh, I would love to see that. <laughs> Me too. Um, well, Dr. Malia Washington, thank <laughs> you so much for being on the program today. You're welcome. Um, and it's really great to have you here. I'm so so very excited for what we're gonna be doing in the future.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited.
1: Summer starts on the 21st and we couldn't be more excited. Summer arrives like a flood lamp aimed right at your eyes. You open the door one day and suddenly you feel like you're swimming because it's so humid. And how come you're already sweating after five seconds? Wasn't it just spring yesterday?
0: No, while it's a shock for us, it can be even more of a shock to our pets who deal with the summer temps in ways that we don't. So let's look at the ways to keep your pup safe now that the heat is on.
1: Please, please, please do not leave your pet in a hot car. You know, we feel like this should go without saying, but every year we hear stories of pups saved from certain death by someone breaking out a car window to rescue them. The temperature very quickly gets way hotter inside the car than outside.
0: And when you take your pup for walks, the pavement is way hotter than the air, enough that it can damage your pup's feet. Nobody wants that, especially your pup. Walking during cooler times of day, um, protective booties or paw pad coverings and more can help out.
1: And if you have a brachycephalic pet, take extra special care with them because they've got that smushed face. They can't pant as well as other dogs.
0: Lots of fresh, clean water. Fountains are good. Some time with the water hose is nice for some pups too. Or hey, what about a nice big bowl of cool, fresh water that gets replaced often?
1: Something a lot of people don't know is that shaving your dog can actually be bad for them. Fur acts as a shading device and actually prevents them from overheating and getting a sunburn.
0: Know the signs of overheating in dogs so you can recognize when it's time to head inside and cool down. Basic signs are very increased panting, drooling, difficulty breathing, mild weakness or stupor, and even collapsing.
1: Our good friend Chemicals is of course on the list of dangers as folks spray insecticides and weed killer and all kinds of things that can be bad for your pet. Make sure all sprays have completely dried before letting them outside and keep all chemicals stored somewhere safe.
0: More than any of these things, there's another danger during summer, and that's fleas, ticks, heartworms, and intestinal parasites. They're always around, but this is when they're the worst. Getting your pup a checkup at the beginning of the summer gives you a nice baseline to start from. You can get a heartworm test and be sure your pup is heartworm-free, and then get them on a preventative.
1: The summer can be dangerous, but with a little forethought, you and your pet can survive the heat safely and in style. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Thanks again to Dr. Malia Washington for taking time out of her schedule to talk with us. We,
0: of course, are a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together, and you can help. Just head to PRCKC.org, and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more.
1: If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review so we can bring new listeners into the fold, and follow us on social media for the latest information. We're at PRR Podcasts on Facebook and Twitter.
0: So, tail wags and purrs to you and yours, and as the musician Captain Beefheart said, you can tell by the kindness of a dog how a human should be. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, written and hosted by Sierra Howe and Dave Shapiro. Recorded, edited, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro. Music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Musical Industries.